Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. I told the 8 o'clock crowd, and it's only more true now that I should have thought better about how we structured this morning, because following Lorraine is very hard. Um, I don't know how I could ever top that. We are, <clears throat> we are nearing the end of the church year, which means we begin a whole new cycle soon. Advent's coming. We'll change the hangings to purple. We'll anticipate the birth of our king. We'll celebrate that birth at Christmas. We'll have our epiphany season where we celebrate him as the light to the world, and then we'll walk the way of the cross with him during Lent, and we'll celebrate Easter again, and then we'll go back to Trinity Tide, and everything will change to green. It's been green for a long time, 22 weeks of green. Why? Why do we do that? Is it because those who invented the church calendar just ran out of ideas, and so they thought, well, we'll just put this whole season of nothing? No, I don't think so. Uh, This whole season, the Sundays after Trinity, is often called ordinary time, and it is not, despite what you might think based on the name, boring. Rather, we call it ordinary time because the focus on this time of year in the church calendar is the Christian life. And so we wear the color green week after week after week because we're focused on growth. Green is a verdant color. It's about new life springing up. And that's what we're working on during this season together. It's a good reminder for us, like Lorraine just said, that the Christian life is a journey, a journey that's never done. And it's the most important thing that we do. And anyone who's lived the Christian life for any length of time knows that the tricky part about it is that it's never purely a linear journey. There's not a really clean beginning, middle, and end to the Christian life. It's often circuitous. It often has starts and stops. In fact, the the story that we read this morning from Numbers, that whole portion of Scripture was often read by early Christians to be about the spiritual life. They would read it spiritually. That story is our story. The story of Israel wandering in the wilderness is the story of us wandering in this life, trying to get into the promised land that is heaven. Their story is our story. And I think that today's readings teach us something really important, teaching us about human faithlessness and God's faithfulness. Now, I'll be honest, when I first read the selected passage from Numbers, I thought, man, I should have had Father David preach today. (laughs) I thought it was kind of a weird choice of of a reading because there are two stories presented in the reading. The first is about Israel being denied passage through the land of Edom. And the second is about the death of Aaron. And I thought, these are two very weird stories to put together. But let's break it down just a little bit. So the land of Edom, Israel goes to the land of Edom. They've been wandering. They're trying to get to the promised land, and they need to get through this country, Edom. Now, the, Ed- the country of Edom was inhabited by the descendants of Esau, who had been the brother of Jacob. Of course, Israel comes from the line of Jacob. So these are their cousins, in theory. So you'd expect there to be a sort of filial understanding between the two nations, you know. So the people of Israel go and they say, hey, we, we need to pass through your land. Is it okay? We won't take anything. We'll pay for whatever we, we use. Um, we won't stray from the path. We'll go straight through. We'll be out of your hair. And you won't even notice that we were here. To which the Edomites say, no, thank you. Maybe it's because they were scared. They had heard about the things that had happened in Egypt and they didn't want what happened to the Egyptians to happen to them. 
Or maybe it's because they were just particularly parsimonious people and they didn't want to share. So Israel asks a second time, they say, hey, we'll stay on the king's highway, which was probably a trade route. We'll stay on the king's highway. We'll pay you for whatever we use. We'll be good, we promise. To which the Edomites don't just say no, they actually bring out a strong group of, uh, in a show of force to tell Israel, if you step foot in our land, we will attack you. And so Israel takes the long way around the land of Edom. They leave and they decide to journey around. And in that journey, they arrive at a mountain called Mount Hor. And God tells Moses there that it's time for Aaron, the high priest of Israel, to die. Aaron, like Moses, was not allowed to enter into the promised land because of previous sins. So Moses takes Aaron up on the mountain in the sight of all the people. He takes off his priestly vestments and he puts them on his son, Eleazar, and Aaron dies. They come down the mountain, the people mourn. Are these two stories related? At first I thought no, but the more I sat with it, the more I thought both these stories are about human faithlessness and God's faithfulness. You see, when I first initially read that story about Edom, my main takeaway was to just think, wow, the Edomites are real jerks to the Israelites here. And that was kind of my, the entirety of my reading. And that's not wrong technically. The Edomites should have allowed the Israelites to go through the land. There should have been a filial connection between the two nations. In fact, the prophets later condemn Edom for their lack of hospitality to Israel. But there's something that's missing from the story. And it took me, I had to sit with the text for a while before I, I, I picked up on this. And that is, where is God in this? Where is God in this? I mean, remember, this is the same God that led the people out of Egypt. He divided the Red Sea. He provided for them with manna from heaven. He's, he's gotten them this far. And the leadership of Israel just shows up at Edom's door and says, hey, we'd like to pass through. Was God, did God tell them to do that? Well, we don't have any record of it. Did Moses and Aaron and Miriam, did they pray before they did this? It doesn't seem so. They just decided this is the most direct route, and so this, we're going to do this thing. No wonder it failed. They didn't, they didn't consult God. This is not the first time Israel's leadership failed them. We saw this a couple weeks ago when we read the golden calf story. The people say, hey, Moses has been gone a couple days. We don't know where he is. He's probably dead. Build us some new gods. And what does Aaron do? Rather than growing a backbone, rather than telling him, no, we're not going to worship false gods. We're going to worship the one true God who brought us out of Egypt. He acquiesces to them. He builds an idol and they all start worshiping. And the people are punished because of that, because of Aaron's unfaithfulness. Another instance of this, and the one that's cited as the reason that Aaron wasn't allowed to enter the promised land is because of the rebellion at Meribah. This was when the Israelites had no water. And God told Moses to speak to this rock, which Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, the rock was Christ. So God tells Moses, speak to the rock and there will be water produced. And what does Moses do? He hits the rock with his staff. And it's that event that keeps him out of the promised land, along with the entire leadership of Israel, with Aaron and Miriam as well. So I think we see a really important lesson here. When we think that we know better than God, 
whether that involves building our own idols, whether it involves disobeying a command of God, or whether it involves not consulting God before we make big decisions, or any decision really, we miss out on his blessing. And I don't mean this in a prosperity gospel sense. The point here is not obey God and he'll shower material benefits on you so that you become healthy and wealthy. No, the kind of blessing that we miss when we disobey are those for our own benefits because it's about the Christian life. We recognize that obeying God brings us closer to beatitude. It brings us closer to the promised land. It makes us better versions of ourselves. It makes us feel good because we're obeying God, which is what we were made to do. Another important point to draw out here is that if we're to obey God, we should not only consult him, but we should trust his timing. I think this is the problem with the Israelite leadership. They don't consult God before they go to the Edomites, no doubt, because they wanted to take the most direct route to their destination. It was the route that made most, the most sense in their minds, but God closed that door for whatever reason. Maybe if they had asked, he would have told them, no, that's not the right way. You might remember the Lord of the Rings movies. I love Lord of the Rings. I love the movies. There's that scene at the beginning, Gandalf is coming to the Shire and Frodo says, you're late. What does Gandalf say? A wizard is never late. He arrives precisely when he means to. God's timing operates according to a similar principle. Sometimes he makes us take the long way, but that road that he puts us on is never the wrong way. He knows what we need. He knows when we need it. He knows how we need it. We, of course, like to rush in. We like to do things on our time. We want to get it done quickly. That waiting can often make us uncomfortable. But that's relying on a human wisdom that's foolishness in God's eyes. The best timing is God's timing, even and especially when this timing makes us uncomfortable. That's exactly when we grow. A negative example of that is the golden calf story. Moses has gone a few days and the Israelites say, well, I guess we better hang it up. I guess Moses is done. If you take anything away from today's sermon, I want you to remember that God is always faithful even when we are faithless. In the greatest act of human faithlessness in history, we killed God when he sent us his son. But by going to the cross, Jesus reveals to us the faithfulness of God. And this faithfulness is evident in today's reading. I mean, think about Aaron. All of our readings of him this year so far have been nothing but negative. Builds the golden calf. There's the Meribah incident. There's this story. He did not always live up to his calling as a priest. The people of Israel didn't always live up to their calling to be a royal priesthood, a nation of priests, to be the attractive force in the world that pulled the nations to God. They disobeyed. So did God throw them away? No. Did he abandon their priesthood? No. What happens in the reading? Moses strips Aaron of his priestly vestments, but he puts them on Eleazar, his son. The priesthood continues. Just like in Israel, so today. The priesthood is not about the individual person who holds that position. 
Priests, of course, should strive for holiness. We should strive to live out our vocation, but even a bad priest in Israel could offer the sacrifices that were required to remit the sins of the nation. And even a bad priest today can confect the sacraments for the church. This should bring us great comfort because you don't have to worry. Oh yeah, Father West is a real jerk. I wonder if I'm really getting Holy Communion from him. (laughs) You are, whether I'm a jerk or not. This should bring us comfort because it reminds us that the priesthood is always God's means to work for his people. It's not because I'm special. It's not because Father David is special. It's because Jesus Christ is our great high priest and he has enlisted us, flawed as we are, to participate in his ministry for the benefit of the church just like he enlists each and every one of you, flawed as you may be, for the ministry of the church in the world. Israel was faithless. Their leaders acted faithlessly too. God provided them for them, giving them the sacrificial system, allocating priests to represent God to the people and the people to God. And similarly, we, the church, act faithlessly. Our leadership, our bishops, our priests, our deacons can act faithlessly. But God has assured us through the sacrament of holy orders that we will be taken care of because the sacraments are always signs of God's faithfulness. You think God isn't faithful to you? Remember that you were baptized. And we can look over the great history of the church, 2,000 years. We can actually trace Bishop Chad's line, the bishops who consecrated him and the bishops who consecrated them and the bishops who consecrated them all the way back to the 12 apostles. If you're ever interested, I'll show you the chart. You think all those bishops were good people? No, most of them were not. John Chrysostom says the road to hell is paved with the skulls of priests and the skulls of bishops are the lampposts that light the way. (laughs) But the story of the church, the history of the church, is that God has been faithful to his church since the beginning and we can be confident that even in a world that's always changing, even in a world that feels like it's secularizing rapidly, even in a world where most of the church is acting too much like the spirit of the age, that God has always been and will always be faithful to us. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, amen.